going on? So let's see what's going on with Midas Touch. Thanks for 320k, even though it's just law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant. One minute ago posted, Diaper Don Lawyer steps into it with federal judge who despises her. <laughs> she almost got Look, taken away. To lock up. Michael Popak, Legal AF. If I were Judge Lewis Kaplan, federal judge, Southern District of New York, I report Alina Hava to the bar for an ethics investigation based on the new arguments that she just raised to distract from the her poor lawyering that led to an $83 million verdict against Donald Trump based on the rape, defamation, and, and for putative... No, it wasn't her that led to that. It was him. He did it. He kept, you know, all he, he was going to have to pay was $5 million now because he wouldn't shut up and stop tormenting that poor woman. So, yeah, he got, he got fined. Punitive damages up the butt. 83.3 million. Good for... Thank you, jury of his peers. Jury. Now, Alina Haba argues for the first time in three years that back 30 years ago, huh. for an 18-month period, Judge Lewis Kaplan was in the same law firm as Roberta Kaplan, no relation, the plaintiff's hmm. lawyer. And that 18-month or so overlap when Roberta Kaplan was a young associate and Lewis Kaplan was a partner is somehow unethical that he presided over the case. I mean, I don't even know where to start, but I know where to start on this hot take. Alina Hoppe's citation in the letter written to Judge Kaplan today, which should be the basis of a bar referral by Judge Kaplan of Alina Hoppe's poor ethics, is a New York Post article. One source, somebody that commented that 30 years ago they think that um, Robbie Kaplan, Roberta Kaplan, overlapped for a short amount of time with Lewis Kaplan before he became a federal judge. He's been on the bench that long. And somehow she was mentored by him. I find that, first of all, almost I'm, also, I'm almost incredulous about it. Robbie and I are, are of a similar vintage. Full disclosure, I know plenty of people that work at that same law firm, including those that head certain departments, and I worked at a firm just like that one, um, and I know sort of the relationships. No matter how brilliant Roberta Kaplan is and was, I doubt that an outgoing, soon-to-be federal judge um, spent that much time with her where she would be considered a mentor. But more importantly, this is something that Alina Haba knew or should have known when she first started in the case three years ago. It takes you two keystrokes to figure out that Lewis Kaplan was once a partner at Paul Weiss. It takes you one additional uh, uh, keystroke to figure out from Roberta Kap Kaplan's professional resume that she overlapped with him for a year and a half. That has been a known fact forever. Now, first they went after uh, Sean uh, uh, Crowley, who's the colleague, young colleague of Roberta Kaplan, and said, aha! She was a law clerk, a federal law clerk for Lewis Kaplan 10, 12 years ago, and maybe he presided over her wedding. This was all fully disclosed or knew or should have known by Alina Haba, who handled the first E.G. Carroll case for Donald Trump three years ago. And, and if she had an issue uh, which would have failed under any ethical analysis that should have been raised at or about the time three years ago when she knew or should have known about Shane Rowley's 
sorry, Shane Crowley's relationship um, or professional relationship with Lewis Kaplan. Now, completely grasping at straws, Alina Hava wrote a three-page letter to the judge and said, you, judge, must tell us, the defense, exactly the nature of your relationship with Roberta Kaplan 30 years ago when she was a young <laughs> associate and you were an outgoing partner about to hit the federal bench. I can't even get these sentences out. She miscites an ethics rule completely that's completely against her, which I'm going to show you now. Even by its very terms, it's against her. And she claims that because of this longstanding friendship that nobody else has been able to suss out, that even the New York Post's article doesn't recite, um, this is more of a drive-by relationship between senior outgoing partner and young incoming associate. I had plenty of those in my career at my major New York law firm that I worked for. It wouldn't disqualify a judge. The only way a judge recuses themselves or dis gets disqualified, even if the firm that they used to be a partner in is now appearing in front of them for a new case, is usually there's a cooling off period of two or three years to make sure any case that the judge worked on doesn't end up in front of him or her being led by the law firm that they used to work for. That makes sense. A drive-by cup of coffee between Lou Kaplan and Roberta Kaplan when she was an associate 30 years ago? A, um, Alina Habish knew or should have known all about that and should have moved to disqualify at or about that time if she had the grounds. Obviously, she didn't have the grounds. Joe Tacopina, B, was co-counsel at that time, the, the recently departed Joe Tacopina from representing Donald Trump in this case, and he didn't raise the issue. Even if they had raised the issue timely, which of course three years late is not timely, it would have it would have fallen completely flat because there's no ethical rule that's been violated. Now they claim that because Lewis Kaplan reprimanded um, Alina Hava for her poor performance and poor conduct as a bar member in court telling her that she was very close to ending up in the lockup, being found in contempt for her contumacious, contemptuous conduct in the courtroom, her failure to understand basic evidence code, her failure to understand uh, motions in limine and orders that had already been entered, her failure to properly address the court um, in a respectful way or honor it's the a jury setup. in the same way. That, that must be. That, it's always somebody else's excuse in that. It's a setup. He's going to blame it on her for being an incompetent lawyer. It must be because he had a cup of coffee with Roberta Kaplan 30 years ago, not because of my poor performance as an attorney, an embarrassing performance, shambling performance as an attorney. Not that. Can't be that. Never. And, and, and the, the letter goes on to say, I'm going to read from it in a minute. I'll try to suppress laughter during it. <laughs> that, um, that's why, Judge Kaplan, you're against my client as well, and you showed animus and... Uh, and, and um, and that's grounds for an appeal and a reversal. So tell us now what the New York Post has, in a gossipy and salacious way, listed without any proper corroboration in the New York Post. For those that don't um, sort of uh, get the local newspapers in New York, the New York Post is at the, yes, it was founded by Alexander Hamilton, but it is at the bottom of the food chain of newspapers in New York. Okay, I'll just leave it at that.
It's owned by Rupert Murdoch today. Fill in the blank. It's barely above newspaper tab, uh, you know, uh, supermarket tabloids that you get, you know, at the checkout counter. Uh, apologies to checkout counter tabloids. <laughs> so let me read from the letter, and then you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Dear Judge Kaplan, <laughs> written on her letterhead today. We'll put the picture up on it. This letter is submitted on behalf of President Donald J. Trump. Now remember, the judge already told her, stop calling him President Donald J. Trump. He's Donald John Trump, that's it. He doesn't get President honor honorific. As a result of a story published in the New York Post, oh my God, I can't even get this out, <laughs> defense counsel learned for the first time of allegations that your honor, while a partner at the Paul Weiss firm, it's not even the proper name of the law firm, Alina, had a mentor-type relationship with plaintiff's lead counsel, Roberta Kaplan. A, that's not exactly what the New York Post article says. It's uncorroborated, and I can't even believe that it would be true. And if it is true, it's something they knew or should have known three years ago and made a motion at that time. Most concerning, Alina Haba goes on in breathless fashion in high dungeon, is that the article was brought to the New York Post's attention by an unnamed partner at Paul Weiss. So there is the uncorroborated one-person uh, uh, call who was aware of the close relationship between you and Miss Kaplan and stated that Lou was like her mentor. The underlying defamation case tried last year and the damages trial completed last week were both litigations in which they were many clashes between your honor and defense counsel. Right, because Alina Haba can't find her way out of a paper bag when it comes to <laughs> trial skills. We believe and will argue on appeal the court was overtly hostile towards defense counsel and President Trump and displayed preferential treatment towards plaintiff's counsel. What preferential treatment? That that they won their fair share of properly argued motions, that they that they were able to uh, work their way through the federal rules of civil procedure and the federal rules of evidence in a way that Alina Haba would only dream of? That's the preferential treatment? That you are out-lawyered, out-gunned, out-thought, out-prepared in front of a jury? That preferential treatment? Come on. The letter goes on. Indeed, the rulings, tone, and demeanor of the bench raised significant concerns before the New York Post investigative journalism. All right, now I gotta su suppress a laugh. The New York Post may be a lot of things, but an investigative journalistic outlet, they are <laughs> not. I can't tell you how much of a gossip rag sheet the New York Post is. <laughs> Although I've just told you. And that they've unearthed new facts. Right, un uh, facts about an overlap in professional uh, relationship that Alina Haba should have determined three years ago when she got into the case. And again, I'm going to repeat it one more time. There is no rules of ethics or judicial conduct that would require um, Lewis Kaplan to recuse himself from the case. And all the things that she's pointing to about the hostility and the animus to the bench, it's because of her own misconduct. I mean, I'm sorry that she's you know, I don't know, 40-something has been doing this for 10 or 12 years, Alina Haba, but she didn't know to stand up for the judge. She didn't know to call him your honor and not call him sir. Uh, she didn't know how to get evidence into, uh, to get uh, uh, documents into evidence properly in front of a jury. She didn't know how to make objections. She didn't know how to control her So he didn't mutter She's a parking and garage. in front of the jury and the and the prospective jury. She didn't know enough to tell him not to walk out during the middle of her opponent's um, closing argument. 
<laughs> Whose fault is that? Luke Kaplan or Alina Hava? So they go on on page two to say, if your honor truly worked with Ms. Kaplan in any capacity, especially if there was a mentor-mentee relationship, that fact should have been disclosed by the parties. Okay. Well, I am sure we're going to get a, a scathing letter from Lewis Kaplan, who's, who's going to say that he did not have a mentor relationship <laughs> and that he, the fact that she has brought this to his attention in this way is also unethical <laughs> and that he's going to refer her to the bar. That's what I'm hoping for, folks, when I report on this case next. The issue is particularly concerning, Hava goes on, since plaintiff's other lead counsel, Shane Crowley, served as your law clerk, law clerk and was previously advised that your honor co-officiated her wedding. Again, another fact that was both disclosed to them at the beginning of this case about her being a law clerk, easily discernible by Alina Haba. And if it was an issue, she should have brought it to the judge's attention at the beginning of the case three years ago. She then quotes from Canon 3 of the Code of Conduct for Judges. But she mischaracterizes it, misquotes it. Does that surprise anybody? And she underlines and highlights the very thing that defeats her argument. That code of conduct says that a judge shall disqualify himself in a proceeding in which the judge's impartiality might be reasonably questioned, including but not limited to instances in which, and now this is the part she highlights, B, the judge served as a lawyer in the matter in controversy. Okay, stop right there. Luke Kaplan, the judge, never served as a lawyer on behalf of E. Jean Carroll, Carroll in private practice. Or a lawyer with whom the judge previously practiced law served during such association as a lawyer concerning the matter. And she highlights that thinking that's her winner. That is her loser. That says, and I'll put it in plain English as I like to do on these hot takes, that says that if the judge was with a law firm and an associate with that law firm, while he was there, worked on the case, he could be disqualified, um, or where the judge could be a material witness. Read it again. I'll read it again. Or a lawyer with whom the judge previously practiced law, all right, let's say that's Robbie Kaplan 30 years ago, served during such association, meaning 30 years ago, as a lawyer concerning the matter. Robbie Kaplan didn't represent E. Jean Carroll in the 1990s, 1994, when she overlapped with, with soon to judge Lou Kaplan. I mean, I mean, now I got a question whether Alina Haba can read. Before I thought, well, maybe she just didn't go and you know practice law properly, doesn't understand trial practice. Now I'm thinking she's she's illiterate. She can't read. And and when Lou Kaplan the judge gets a hold of this, I'm telling you, there is a very good shot, in my view, that he refers her to the bar. Well, not every mere friendship, the uh, letter goes on, between a judge and a lawyer warrants disclosure and possible recusal, as the Fifth Circuit recently explained. All right, let me stop right there. Wrong circuit. That's the circuit in Texas and Louisiana. The circuit that is relevant here is the Second Circuit. Anyway, she cites a Fifth Circuit case, gets around to a Second Circuit case, um, about bias, which also doesn't apply, and, and, then, and then ends it with admitting that she doesn't have the facts to attack the ethics of a federal judge, which is another grounds to make a referral to the bar. She says here, without knowing more information or having a specific factual denial by your honor, we are unable to flesh out our position. 
Let me translate that. That means he, she attacked the federal judge's ethics and that of her opposing counsel, who are bar members, without any relevant information or evidence other than an unsourced, improperly sourced New York Post article. Surely, the letter concludes, this court should provide defense counsel with all the relevant facts. <laughs> circuit. That's the circuit in Texas and Louisiana. The circuit that is relevant here is the Second Circuit. Anyway, she cites a Fifth Circuit case, gets around to a Second Circuit case um, about bias, which also doesn't apply, and, and, then, and then ends it with admitting that she doesn't have the facts to attack the ethics of a federal judge, which is another grounds to make a referral to the bar. She says here, without knowing more information or having a specific factual denial by your honor, we are unable to flesh out our position. Let me translate that. That means he, she attacked the federal judge's ethics and that of her opposing counsel, who are bar members, without any relevant information or evidence other than an unsourced, improperly sourced New York Post article. Surely, the letter concludes, this court should provide defense counsel with all the relevant facts. Um, at a minimum, the this information could certainly prove relevant to President Trump's forthcoming Rule 59 motion, which will be addressed to the outcome of the case. We thank the court for its prompt attention to this troubling matter. I'm telling you, Alina Hava, get ready, because if, if, if I know Lou Kaplan from watching him in action, in this case, and how he's handled cases the last 30 years, you're going to get a bar complaint. Now, we'll continue to follow what happens. I am sure we're going to see by tomorrow a letter from, um, from E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, and then we're going to get Judge Kaplan's response. And I think it's going to be blistering. Right. And uh, Alina Hava better go get an asbestos three piece suit and be ready for what's coming her way from the federal judge and from Lewis Kaplan's and from uh, Roberta Kaplan's uh, E. Jean Carroll's Can't wait for uh, the blistering uh, response. <laughs> That's groovy. Letterhead. It's coming. We'll follow it on the Midas Touch Network, on Legal AF, only on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Midas Touch, 2 million strong. I didn't buy you on audio podcast platforms of your choice. Some so. things I'm better, baby, just passing through. It's not sacrifice, no sacrifice. The sacrifice at all. Alina Haba liked Instagram post calling herself Diaper Don's future attorney general. Huh. <laughs> Where's the bar complaint? She's going to lose her license. <laughs> the I see the ick is so strong. Probably with her being the future AG would require Congress to vet and approve her. He'd have to pardon her first. <laughs>
exclamation port. Who would have to pardon her first? <laughs> After he pardoned him. You can pardon yourself and then pardon <laughs> your attorney general. <laughs> You're not that great looking, honey. <sighs> Breaking Eugene Carroll's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, responds to Alina Hadley's desperate letter accusing the judge of a conflict of interest and threatens to seek sanctions against her. UP federal judge is sick of them. Longest serving federal judge fed up at Diaper Dawn and Fires Back one hour ago. Before you spend thousands on bed bug exterminators, you need to try this. I woke up one morning and went to the bathroom, just like any other day. When I got issue of election integrity, though, as you know, Trump took his case to court more than 60 times that there was fraud. He didn't win. But I want to get back to this key question. Do you still think it was a tragic day? Do you think that the people who stormed the Capitol should be held responsible to the full extent of the I law. have concerns about the treatment of January 6th hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Fucking sedition. Uh, and I believe that Providing we're seeing the weaponization of the federal government. Michael Popak, Legal AF. The log Serving judge of the D.C. federal court, Royce Lampert, has a to get me on the ballot. back to Elise Stefanik in quotes like that, in which she finds that the, the Jan, Jan 6 defendants who all committed crimes <laughs> and have been convicted and sentenced for them are somehow political hostages, political prisoners, were kept in a political prison or anything like that. Royce Lampert took the opportunity in resentencing Jonathan Little. John Little, we'll talk about him in a minute, in the middle of his order, towards the end of it, to say the following back at that kind of quote from uh, uh, leaders of the MAGA world. I've never seen a judge, a federal judge, take time in an order about one defendant to reach out and comment negatively on what political leaders are doing. But here we have it. Um, and let me read it for you. He says, in my 37 years on the bench, I cannot recall a time when such meritless justifications of criminal activity have gone mainstream. I have been dismayed to see distortions and outright falsehoods seep into the public consciousness. I've been shocked to watch public figures try to rewrite history, claiming rioters behaved in an orderly fashion, like tourists, or martyrizing convicted Gen 6 defendants as political pr prisoners or even incredibly hostages. This is all preposterous, but the court fears that such destructive, misguided rhetoric could presage further danger to our country. The court cannot condone the shameless attempts by this defendant, Mr. Little, or anyone else to misinterpret or misrepresent what happened. It cannot condone the notion that those who broke the law on Jan 6th did nothing wrong. 
and that those duly convicted with all of the safeguards of the United States Constitution, including a right to trial by jury in a felony case, are political prisoners or hostages. So let me set the record straight. This is Judge Lambert on page five of his order. Based on what I've learned presiding over many Gen 6 prosecutions, he's presided over 12, the most of any judge. Hearing from dozens of witnesses, watching hundreds of hours of video footage, and reading thousands of pages of evidence. This is again a retort against Donald Trump, who calls them political prisoners and political hostages, and says he's going to free them if he ever has his presidency restored. Judge Lampert says, from a, a position of knowledge, on Jan 6, 2021, a mob of people invaded and occupied the United States Capitol, using force to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power mandated by the Constitution and our Republican heritage. This was not a protest that got out of hand. It was a riot, in many respects, a coordinated riot, as it is clear from the cases before me, including, and he cites a couple of the cases that he's currently handling, Hostetter and Worrell. Protesters would have simply shared their views on the election, as did thousands that day who did not approach the Capitol. But those who breached and occupied the Capitol uh, building and grounds halted the counting of the Electoral College, votes required by the 12th Amendment. The rioters interfered with a necessary step in the constitutional process, disrupted the lawful transfer of power, and thus jeopardized the American constitutional order. Although the rioters failed in their ultimate goal, their actions nonetheless resulted in the deaths of multiple people, injury to over 140 members of law enforcement, and lasting trauma for our entire nation. This was not patriotism, the judge continued. It was the antithesis of patriotism. And the rioters achieved this result through force. Not everyone present that day was violent, but the violence is what let them into the Capitol. At first, the judge continues, a police line protected the Capitol, but eventually law enforcement was subjected to such force by such a mass of people that the rioters pushed through. Upon entering the Capitol, many rioters vandalized and looted, some hunted for members of Congress. And even those who say they simply wandered around the building still played a meaningful role in the events of the day. As the D.C. Circuit recently explained, the appellate court, in an opinion upholding a defendant's jury conviction of disorderly and disruptive conduct, and he quotes from his bosses on the D.C. Court of Appeals in the Alford case, Alford's entry into the Capitol, alongside dozens of others, directly contributed to the Congress's need to recess to ensure the safety of its members. Indeed, entering the Capitol as part of a crowd rather than a lone individual magnified the disruptiveness of his presence. Each additional person, no matter how modestly behaved, increased the chaos within the building, the police's difficulty in restoring order, and the likelihood of interference with the Congress's work. All American seniors who haven't signed up for their... All right. And so, um, as, the, um, as the sentencing memo and that the court has already referenced, the, the judge went on to say, and this is, again, the audience for this is, is yes, it's Elise Stefanik, yes, it's Donald Trump, but it's people like the U.S. Supreme Court that is currently uh, considering whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and a, a person who committed rebellion against the Constitution in his failure to peacefully transfer power. And one part of that, the last the last tip of the, of the spear was the uh, violent assault on the Capitol. It wasn't How all come no one's talking about treason and, to, to, uh, treason and to terrorism charges for old Diaper Donald's? It was one...
manifest of it. But he's speaking, Royce Lampert, who's well-respected on that bench, appointed by Reagan, a conservative, a Republican, a member of the Federalist Society, is speaking to the right wing on the Supreme Court about the ballot decision, the 14th Amendment, Section 3. Banning Donald Trump as an insurrectionist, somebody mighty. committed rebellion against the Constitution, and a court that's going to consider relatively soon whether Donald Trump should enjoy absolute presidential immunity for criminal conduct while he was president. The judge went on, on page 6, Jan 6, 2021, marked a tragic day in American history. The peaceful transfer of power, one of our most important and sacred democratic processes, came under a full-fledged assault, right? That's the insurrection and rebellion against the Constitution in the 14th Amendment. While the immediate threat may have subsided, the court continued to damage from Gen 6 persists. Rioters interrupted the certification of the 2020 Electoral College vote, injured more than 100 law enforcement officers, caused more than a million dollars of property damage to the U.S. Capitol. Take that, Elise Stefanik, for your, po for your political hostage comment. Some of these rioters, now defendants in criminal cases, directly contributed to this violence by assaulting members of law enforcement or by planning, preparing, and facilitating this violence. And those who engaged in violence that day were able to do so because they found safety in numbers. And the judge is not done. Again, I mean, this is so impactful, but so amazing, breathtakingly amazing that this judge this. took time to do this because he felt it was important in this moment in history to do this. He continues on page 7. Let me add one more thing, the judge continues. According to the defendant, the, the criminal justice system has denied him his freedom of speech. Who does that sound like? Donald Trump and his lawyers constantly, constantly haranguing and hanging their hat on the First Amendment. Of course, Mr. Little has a right under the First Amendment to believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. He has a right to express that view today. It is a right to do so on Jan 6th as well. He even has a right to argue that this was a politically motivated prosecution. But the First Amendment does not give anyone the right to enter a restricted area or to engage in riotous activity in the Capitol. In resentencing Mr. Little on the, on the count to which he pled guilty, the court is not suppressing his constitutional right to freedom of expression. This is exactly where Judge Chutkin is in the motions to dismiss by Donald Trump about him using first, that, that he was just using his First Amendment speech to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. The judge ended it with this way, for Mr. Little to style himself as a political prisoner and to accuse the court of infringing his rights is not only incorrect, it's offensive to the court. The public should understand that such notions are preposterous. This is a matter of right and wrong, the judge ended. Little cannot bring himself to admit that he did the wrong thing, although he came close today. Who does that sound like, except for the close part? So it is up to the court to tell the public the truth. Mr. Little's actions and the actions of others who broke the law on Jan 6 were wrong. The court does not expect it, its remarks to fully stem the tide of falsehoods, but I hope a little truth will go a long way. Royce C. Lampert, United States District Judge. I mean, I just can't express to you as a 32-year member of the bar how powerful that notion is. He's following um, Royce Lampert. It, he's standing on the shoulders of um, Beryl Howell, the chief judge, former chief judge of that same court, 
who was responsible for most of the grand jury proceedings against Donald Trump and others. When she made her speech uh, uh, in front of Lisa Monaco, the number two member of the Department of Justice, and she said there, falsehoods matter. We're letting facts slip away, and we're teetering on the edge of tyranny as a result. At least Elise Stefanik doesn't like those words because she wants to believe for her own political expediency and for her own presidential running mate for Donald Trump that these are political hostages. She wants to reshape what happened that day, right? Like calling Pearl Harbor's attack or a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, you know, just a, a tourist, a set of tourist planes that got out of control and accidentally crashed. Come on. Enough is enough. You can vote for whoever you want, but do so based on true facts, immutable facts, not opinions about what happened that day. I've said this, this a million times. I've said this a million times. These, these uh, GOP traitors are acting like this to distract us all from locking them the F up for insurrection. Plus, GOP traitors. Dash, dash. Exclamation point, why don't we? Brazil locked up their insurrection of the day of. Why don't why don't we? Just uh, for a prize. Get me on the ballot. These people liked bad shit crazy because they're distracting us from locking them all the F up for insurrection. Brazil did it. Brazil locked up their insurrectionists the day of. <clears throat> the record straight but his ultimate audience again i'll leave the hot take on this is the united states supreme court and the other quote small c conservatives and republicans that are on that court and particularly chief justice roberts that's his chosen audience <laughs> we'll see what happens there's an oral argument i'm gonna listen to that They're again that's pretty amazing what if is a symptom that torments individuals with ocd what if i never feel just right what if i bring hope Hi there, we're going to listen again to that awesome uh, letter from the Judge Kaplan. Actions to the last meritless justification. They have the longest serving judge of the D.C. federal court, Royce Lampert, has a thing or two to say back to Elise Stefanik in quotes like that. 
in which she finds that the, the Jan, Jan 6 defendants who all committed crimes and have been convicted and sentenced for them are somehow political hostages, political prisoners, who are kept in a political prison or anything like that. Royce Lampert took the opportunity in resentencing Jonathan Little, John Little, we'll talk about him in a minute, in the middle of his order, towards the end of it, to say the following back at that kind of quote from uh, uh, leaders of the MAGA world. I've never seen a judge, a federal judge, take time in an order about one defendant to reach out and comment negatively on what political leaders are doing. But here we have it. Um, and let me read it for you. Wow. He says, in my 37 years on the bench, I cannot recall a time when such meritless justifications of criminal activity have gone mainstream. I have been dismayed to see distortions and outright falsehoods seep into the public consciousness. I've been shocked to watch public figures try to rewrite history, claiming rioters behaved in an orderly fashion, like tourists, or martyrizing convicted Gen 6 defendants as political pr prisoners, or even incredibly hostages. This is all preposterous. But the court fears that such Fucking destructive criminal rhetoric could presage further danger to our country. The court cannot condone the shameless attempts by this defendant, Mr. Little, or anyone else to misinterpret or misrepresent what happened. It cannot condone the notion that those who broke the law on Jan 6 did nothing wrong, and that those duly convicted with all of the safeguards of the United States Constitution, including a right to trial by jury in a felony case, are political prisoners or hostages. So let me set the record straight. This is Judge Lampert on page 5 of his order. Based on what I've learned presiding over many Gen 6 prosecutions, he's presided over 12, the most of any judge. Hearing from dozens of witnesses, watching hundreds of hours of video footage, and reading thousands of pages of evidence. This is again a retort against Donald Trump, who calls them political prisoners and political hostages. and says he's going to free them if he ever has his presidency restored. Judge Lampert says, from a, a position of knowledge, on Jan 6, 2021, a mob of people invaded and occupied the United States Capitol, using force to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power mandated by the Constitution and our Republican heritage. This was not a protest that got out of hand. It was a riot, in many respects, a coordinated riot, as it is clear from the cases before me, including, and he cites a couple of the cases that he's currently handling, Hostetter and Worrell. Protesters would have simply shared their views on the election, as did thousands that day who did not approach the Capitol. But those who breached and occupied the Capitol uh, building and grounds halted the counting of the Electoral College, votes required by the 12th Amendment. The rioters interfered with the necessary step in the constitutional process, disrupted the lawful transfer of power, and thus jeopardized the American constitutional order. Although the rioters failed in their ultimate goal, their actions nonetheless resulted in the deaths of multiple people, injury to over 140 members of law enforcement, and lasting trauma for our entire nation. This was not patriotism, the judge continued. It was the antithesis of patriotism. And the rioters achieved this result through force. Not everyone present that day was violent, but the violence is what let them into the Capitol. At first, the judge continues, a police line protected the Capitol, but eventually law enforcement was subjected to such force by such a mass of people that the rioters pushed through. Upon entering the Capitol, many rioters vandalized and looted, some hunted for members of Congress. And even those who say they simply wandered around the building still played a meaningful role in the events of the day. As the D.C. Circuit recently explained, the appellate court, 
in an opinion upholding a defendant's jury conviction of disorderly or disruptive conduct. And he quotes from his bosses on the D.C. Court of Appeals in the Alford case. Alford's entry into the Capitol, alongside dozens of others, directly contributed to the Congress's need to recess to ensure the safety of its members. Indeed, entering the Capitol as part of a crowd rather than a lone individual magnified the disruptiveness of his presence. Each additional person, no matter how modestly behaved, increased the chaos within the building, the police's difficulty in restoring order, and the likelihood of interference with the Congress's work. All right. And so, um, as, the, um, as the sentencing memo and that the court has already referenced, the, the judge went on to say, and this is, again, the audience for this is, is yes, it's Elise Stefanik. Yes, it's Donald Trump. But it's people like the U.S. Supreme Court that is currently uh, considering whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and a, a person who committed rebellion against the Constitution in his failure to peacefully transfer power. And one part of that, the last, the last tip of the, of the spear, was the uh, violent assault on the Capitol. It wasn't all that he did to interfere, to, to, uh, to rebel against the Constitution. It was one manifest of it. But he's speaking, Royce Lampert, who's well-respected on that bench, appointed by Reagan, a conservative, a Republican, a member of the Federalist Society, is speaking to the right wing on the Supreme Court about the ballot decision, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, about banning Donald Trump as an insurrectionist and someone who committed rebellion against the Constitution, and a court that's going to consider relatively soon whether Donald Trump should enjoy absolute presidential immunity for criminal conduct while he was president. The judge went on, on page 6, Jan 6, 2021, marked a tragic day in American history. The peaceful transfer of power, one of our most important and sacred democratic processes, came under a full-fledged assault, right? That's the insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution in the 14th Amendment. While the immediate threat may have subsided, the court continued, the damage from Jan 6 persists. Rioters interrupted the certification of the 2020 Electoral College vote, injured more than 100 law enforcement officers, caused more than a million dollars of property damage to the U.S. Capitol. Take that, Elise Stefanik, for your, po for your political hostage comment. Some of these rioters, now defendants in criminal cases, directly contributed to this violence by assaulting members of law enforcement or by planning, preparing, and facilitating this violence. And those who engaged in violence that day were able to do so because they found safety in numbers. And the judge is not done. Again, I mean, this is so impactful, but so amazing, breathtakingly amazing that this judge took time to do this because he felt it was important in this moment in history to do this. He continues on page 7. Let me add one more thing, the judge continues. <laughs> According to the defendant, the criminal justice system has denied him his freedom of speech. Who does that sound like? Donald Trump and his lawyers constantly, constantly haranguing and hanging their hat on the First Amendment. Of course, Mr. Little has a right under the First Amendment to believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. He has a right to express that view today. It is a right to do so on Jan 6th as well. He even has a right to argue that this was a politically motivated prosecution. But the First Amendment does not give anyone the right to enter a restricted area or to engage in riotous activity in the Capitol. In resentencing Mr. Little on the, on the count to which he pled guilty, the court is not suppressing his constitutional right to freedom of expression. This is exactly where Judge Chutkin is in the motions to dismiss 
by Donald Trump about him using first that, that he was just using his First Amendment speech to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. It was spectacular. So the judge ended it this way. For Mr. Little to style himself as a political prisoner and to accuse the court of infringing his rights is not only incorrect, it's offensive to the court. The public should understand that such notions are preposterous. This is a matter of right and wrong, the judge ended. Little cannot bring himself to admit that he did the wrong thing, although he came close today. Who does that sound like, except for the close part? So it is up to the court to tell the public the truth. Mr. Little's actions and the actions of others who broke the law on Jan 6 were wrong. The court does not expect it, its remarks to fully stem the tide of falsehoods, but I hope a little truth will go a long way. Royce C. Lampert, United States District Judge. I mean, I just can't express to you as a 32-year member of the bar how powerful that notion is. He's following um, Royce Lampert. It, he's standing on the shoulders of um, Beryl Howell, the chief judge, former chief judge of that same court, who was responsible for most of the grand jury proceedings against Donald Trump and others. When she made her speech uh, uh, in front of Lisa Monaco, the number two member of the Department of Justice, and she said there, falsehoods matter. We're letting facts slip away, and we're teetering on the edge of tyranny as a result. That's at least Elise Stefanik doesn't like those words because she wants to believe for her own political expediency and for her own presidential running mate for Donald Trump that these are political hostages. She wants to reshape what happened that day, right? Like calling Pearl Harbor's attack or a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, you know, just a, a tourist, a set of tourist planes that got out of control and accidentally crashed. Come on. Enough is enough. You can vote for whoever you want. But do so based on true facts, immutable facts, not opinions about what happened that day. And I think this judge has gone a long way to set the record straight. But his ultimate audience, again, I'll leave the hot take on this, is the United States Supreme Court. And the other, quote, small c conservatives and Republicans that are on that court, and particularly Chief Justice Roberts, that's his chosen audience. We'll see what happens. There's an oral argument on the 14th. The February before the United States Supreme Court will follow it right here on the two million strong uh, Midas Touch Network. Legal AF every Wednesday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Join me there. If you like this kind of analysis, this kind of content. Exclamation point. We don't blow smoke or sunshine. Give me a thumbs up and leave a comment. Until my next hot take, until my next legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by she following us on Instagram. No Instagram. Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow it.
Though the rioters failed in their ultimate goal, their actions nonetheless resulted in the deaths of multiple people, injury to over 140 members of law enforcement, and lasting trauma for our entire nation. This was not patriotism, the judge continued. It was the antithesis of patriotism. And the rioters achieved this result through force. Not everyone present that day was violent, but the violence is what let them into the Capitol. At first, the judge continues, a police line protected the Capitol, but eventually law enforcement was subjected to such force by such a mass of people that the... Yeah, I'm putting this on uh, Facebook. That the rioters pushed through. Shout out to KAMP. Upon entering the Capitol, many rioters vandalized and looted. Some hunted for members of Congress. And even those who say they simply wandered around the building still played a meaningful role in the events of the day. As the D.C. Circuit recently explained, the appellate court, in an opinion upholding a defendant's jury conviction of disorderly or disruptive conduct, and he quotes from his bosses on the D.C. Court of Appeals in the Alford case, Alford's entry into the Capitol, alongside dozens of others, directly contributed to the Congress's need to recess to ensure the safety of its members. Indeed, entering the Capitol as part of a crowd rather than a lone individual magnified the disruptiveness of his presence. Each additional person, no matter how modestly behaved, increased the chaos within the building, the police's difficulty in restoring order, and the likelihood of interference with the Congress's work. All right. And so, um, as, the, um, as the sentencing memo and that the court has already referenced, the, the judge went on to say, and this is, again, the audience for this is, is, yes, it's Elise Stefanik. Yes, it's Donald Trump. But it's people like the U.S. Supreme Court that is currently uh, considering whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and a, a person who committed rebellion against the Constitution in his failure to peacefully transfer power. And one part of that, the last, the last tip of the, of the spear, was the uh, violent assault on the Capitol. It wasn't all that he did to interfere to uh, to rebel against the Constitution. It was one manifest of it. But he's speaking, Royce Lampert, who's well-respected on that bench, appointed by Reagan, a conservative, a Republican, a member of the Federalist Society, is speaking to the right wing on the Supreme Court about the ballot decision, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, about banning Donald Trump as an insurrectionist and someone who committed rebellion against the Constitution, and a court that's going to consider relatively soon whether Donald Trump should enjoy absolute presidential immunity for criminal conduct while he was president. The judge went on, on page 6, Jan 6, 2021, marked a tragic day in American history. The peaceful transfer of power, one of our most important and sacred democratic processes, came under a full-fledged assault, right? That's the insurrection and rebellion against the Constitution in the 14th Amendment. While the immediate threat may have subsided, the court continued, the damage from Jan 6 persists. Rioters interrupted the certification of the 2020 Electoral College vote, injured more than 100 law enforcement officers, caused more than a million dollars of property damage to the U.S. Capitol. Take that, Elise Stefanik, for your, po for your political hostage comment. Some of these rioters, now defendants in criminal cases, directly contributed to this violence by assaulting members of law enforcement or by planning, preparing, and facilitating this violence. And those who engaged in violence that day were able to do so because they found safety in numbers. And the judge is not done. <laughs> Again, I mean, this is so impactful, but so 
amazing, breathtakingly amazing that this judge took time to do this because he felt Thank it was important you, in this moment in history to do this. He continues on page seven. Let me add one more thing, the judge continues. According to the defendant, the criminal justice system has denied him his freedom of speech. Who does that sound like? Donald Trump and his lawyers constantly, constantly haranguing and hanging their hat on the First Amendment. Of course, Mr. Little has a right under the First Amendment to believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. He has a right to express that view today. It is a right to do so on Jan 6th as well. He even has a right to argue that this was a politically motivated prosecution. But the First Amendment does not give anyone the right to enter a restricted area or to engage in riotous activity in the Capitol. In resentencing Mr. Little on the, on the count to which he pled guilty, the court is not suppressing his constitutional right to freedom of expression. This is exactly where Judge Chutkin is in the motions to dismiss by Donald Trump about him using first, that, that he was just using his First Amendment speech to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. The judge ended it this way. For Mr. Little to style himself as a political prisoner and to accuse the court of infringing his rights is not only incorrect, it's offensive to the court. The public should understand that such notions are preposterous. This is a matter of right and wrong, the judge ended. Little cannot bring himself to admit they did the wrong thing, although he came close today. Who does that sound like, except for the close part? So it is up to the court to tell the public the truth. Mr. Little's actions and the actions of others who broke the law on Jan 6th were wrong. The court does not expect it, its remarks to fully stem the tide of falsehoods, but I hope a little truth will go a long way. Royce C. Lampert, United States District Judge. Fantastic I mean, I letter. just can't Thank you, express to you as a 32-year member of the bar how powerful that notion is. He's following um, Royce Lampert. It, he's Royce standing on the Lambert. shoulders of um, Beryl Howell, the chief judge, mm -hmm. former chief judge of that same court, who is responsible for most of the grants. During proceedings against Donald Trump and others, when she made her speech uh, uh, in front of Lisa Ma the number two member of the Department of Justice, and she said there, falsehoods matter. We're letting facts slip away, and we're teetering on the edge of tyranny as a result. At least Elise Stefanik doesn't like those words, because she wants to believe for her own political expediency and for her own presidential running mate for Donald Trump that these are political hostages. She wants to reshape what happened that day, right? Like calling Pearl Harbor's attack or a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, you know, just a, a tourist, a set of tourist planes that got out of control and accidentally crashed. Come on. Enough is enough. You can vote for whoever you want, but do so based on true facts, immutable facts, not opinions about what happened that day. And I think this judge is going a long way to set the record straight. But his ultimate audience, again, I'll leave a hot take on this, is the United States Supreme Court. And the other, quote, small C conservatives and Republicans that are on that court, and particularly Chief Justice Roberts, that's his chosen audience. We'll see what happens. There's an oral argument on the 14th Amendment, Section 3, disqualification of Donald Trump on the 8th of February before the United States Supreme Court. We'll follow it right here on the 2 million strong uh, Midas Touch Network and on Legal AF every Wednesday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Join me there.
you like this kind of analysis, this kind of content where we don't blow smoke Great or job. sunshine, give me a thumbs up and leave a comment. Until my next hot take, until my next legal layout, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following no us on Instagram. Instagram. At Midas Touch. She just Keep uses up with the most Instagram. Important news of the day. What are you waiting for?